you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Friends, listen, this is God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. Well, we are resolved as a church this year to love our neighbors. Our desire is to be a blessing to the people that we live with and near, the people at work, the people in our social circles. We are desiring to be a blessing to the neighbors around us. And uh, as I have talked over the years to hundreds of non-Christians, hundreds and thousands of Christians, there's something I've experienced personally and I've heard about over and over and over again. Um, I've heard this from all kinds of people, both inside the church and outside the church, that when a Christian talks to someone who isn't a Christian and the issue of Christianity comes up in that conversation, both can get really uncomfortable. Okay? Especially when there's a friendship involved. So it has been my personal experience, it's been the experience of hundreds of other people, both who are Christians and non-Christians, that when there is a conversation that's happening and Christianity gets brought up, both can get very uncomfortable. Okay, and it's amazing because as I've had conversations um, on both sides of the aisle with Christianity, um, it's amazing how similar the feelings are. Okay, because both the Christian and the non-Christian feel like they are about to be misunderstood. Okay, they both feel that way. Both also feel like the other thinks that they know how they feel. I don't know if there's enough. Let me, let me restate that. Um, but I want you to catch the dynamic. Okay? You think you know what I believe, and you're wrong. Both sides believe that. Both the Christian and the non-Christian both feel like, I'm afraid to talk because I feel like I'm going to get misunderstood. I feel like, you know what, you already have an opinion on what I believe. You already think you know what I believe, and you're wrong. You're not going to actually listen to me. You're just going to tell me what you think, right? And this is the dynamic that happens. So conversations then happen, and oftentimes things just don't go well because people feel pressure to have to defend their views. Both feel pressure that if they don't have the right answer to anything that gets brought up, then they've somehow failed their respective side and then both leave sort of hoping never to have to go through that experience again. Right? Anybody else have this experience? I mean, this is continual. Right? This happens all the time. And here's what's really, really interesting. Okay, this is what's really interesting is that both also wish that somehow the process of talking about faith could be better. Okay? Both Christians and people who aren't Christians wish that they could have conversations about faith, about religion in ways that wouldn't feel like something's being shoved in your face or that I'm going to feel this weird pressure if we don't agree when we're done with this. 
I mean, that's the longing of everybody's heart. Now, the good news is that God knows Christians, at least, have a problem communicating with other people the right way. Hey, God knows that, and he has addressed that. The answer that God gives to us is in this passage, and it's actually really simple. It's very simple, and yet it's going to take time and hard work to learn how to put it into practice. Okay, God's answer to Christians who struggle with talking about their faith is in verses 5 and 6 of this passage in Colossians. This is what we're really going to focus on today. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so, just simply put, God's answer to Christians who struggle with talking about their faith is walk in wisdom, speak in grace. Walk in wisdom, speak in grace. Walk in wisdom, speak in grace. It's as simple as that. This week I spent some time learning about foot and mouth disease. Okay? Not foot in mouth disease. Okay, that's something we'll actually talk about also, but foot and mouth disease. Um, Foot and mouth disease, actually, it's interesting because the more I read about it, the more I realized, oh my goodness, this is exactly the problem that we're talking about here. Foot and mouth disease afflicts cows on farms and Christians when they talk to people who aren't Christians about their faith or religion. Okay, let me tell you the symptoms here. Symptom number one of foot and mouth disease is high fever. Okay. On a cow, you can tell this with a thermometer, right? You put a thermometer in, you see the cow's got a raging fever, a very, very high fever. And with Christians, you can tell a Christian has foot and mouth disease because a Christian gets flustered, right? This fear grows and maybe defensiveness takes over, right? Their temperature, they're getting hot under the collar. They're not sure what to do, right? Same thing. Symptom number two on a cow, this is a little bit graphic. They get blisters on the insides of their mouths and on their feet, That's why they call it foot and mouth disease. So they get these blisters. Well, for a Christian, these blisters are speaking judgmentally, right? You can tell someone's got foot and mouth disease when the judgmental speech comes out, um, when they're kind of harsh or when they speak without understanding. And then blisters on the feet, you know, feet is, I mean, in this passage, the idea of walking in wisdom, it's it's living. It's, It's the way of life. So you're talking about your way of life. And so blisters on the feet for a Christian are hypocritical lives or holier-than-thou attitudes. Okay, when you see those things, you've got foot and mouth disease. Now, this foot and mouth disease causes lameness in a cow. Causes lameness in Christians, too. Causes Christians to be ineffective. It causes them to be lame. Um, And it's highly infectious. It spreads easily among cows. Also spreads in the church, unfortunately. And the problem is, the worst part is, that sometimes this disease spreads among Christians who are really trying hard to do things the right way. Okay? I haven't met a Christian who's trying to be judgmental, who's trying to sound harsh. Um, Usually they're always motivated with the best possible intentions, but reality is they're afflicted with this disease and they need a cure. They need a cure. The solution for cows, this is interesting, right? Think about the parallels here. For cows, vaccination, strict monitoring, quarantine, and sometimes elimination. 
Like, man, they're going to kick me out here if I preach this sermon. <laughs> For Christians, kind of the same way, right? Maybe we need to quarantine some of us. You're not allowed to talk to anybody until you get vaccinated, right? Um, God's vaccination for us is, is in this passage, verses 5 and 6. It's walk in wisdom, speak in grace. Okay, that is the vaccine. That's the answer. Walk in wisdom, speak in grace. And so let me just say one other thing here. Um, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and I'm so thankful that you're here because my hope is that you can tell us if we're off base, right? My desire today is to begin something that I think is going is to span over until next week because we're not going to get through all this today, but um, is to try. Our, our goal as a church is to get to a place where we can actually have conversations about faith that don't come across as obnoxious or domineering or judgmental. Okay, we want to actually get to a place where we can have conversations with people who don't agree with us about anything and come away from that conversation where everybody has a greater sense of understanding, where what we believe can actually be a blessing to each other. Okay, and so please tell me if we're if I'm off base, if somebody brought you here, have a conversation with them after the service and just give them feedback. Is this right? Is this on the right track? What kinds of things do we need to uh, do we need to, to, to grow in? So that's what we're aiming for. So today are three points, if you want to take notes, are walk in wisdom, speak in grace, and then answer each person. Okay, walk in wisdom, speak in grace, answer each person. And as I said a minute ago, I think we may only get through our first point, which is not a problem, because this is really, really important for us. Okay, we may just get to this first point about walking in wisdom. Let's look at that first. That's what Paul says there in verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom. Okay? Walk. The word walk, I said this already, it refers to uh, the way of life. Right? You know, we all use the phrase, you know, don't talk the talk if you don't walk the walk. Right? These things need to go together. Walk is just a, a euphemism to refer to the way that you live your life. And so Paul is saying here, let your life reflect wisdom. Okay? Walk in wisdom. Let your life reflect wisdom. So what is wisdom? What's the definition of wisdom? Well, wisdom is the skill of living well. Okay? It's the skill of living well. It's knowing the right thing to say in a complicated situation. Okay? It's knowing the right thing to do in a complicated situation. Um, you think about questions like, what's the best career path for you? When are you ready for marriage? Right? These are questions that are complicated, right? The answer is not the same for everybody. And there are various facets of things that you need to consider and sort of put together in order to come up with the right answer. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom is being able to sort of hold all the truths that fit in a situation, holding them all together and applying them in the way that produces the right answer about what to do. Okay, that's what wisdom is. And so in this passage, we're told to live with wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, and so here specifically, um, God through Paul is saying, I want you to focus on being wise in your relationships with people who are outside the church. 
Okay, that's where the wisdom is focused here. Now, this idea, this phrase, outsiders, this isn't meant to be a slam or a pejorative comment. Um, it's actually really helpful for, for Christians because, honestly, as I've talked to even this week, I, I started doing some, some more research and talking to some more folks. It seems like one of the problems that non-Christians have more than anything else with Christians is that Christians don't recognize that there are people who are outside of the church. Right? Part of the problem sometimes is that Christians will treat everybody else as though they're already Christian. And they will hold them to standards that really don't necessarily apply outside the church. Or they will assume that just because the Bible is their standard of authority, that it should be the standard of authority for everybody. Right? And so non-Christians might jump up and say, look, I'm an outsider to your community. Don't impose your views on me. Right? And so when Paul is calling these folks outsiders, he's starting by saying, look, as you walk in wisdom, recognize that not everybody is a Christian. Right? It seems genius, or it seems not genius. It seems um, completely obvious, but I think sometimes we sort of get that wrong. Um, that Christians, especially non-Christians, really, they understand that pretty well. But, um, but sometimes we don't understand that, and so we need to be reminded about this. If, if other people don't believe that the Bible is authoritative, then be wise how you use it in conversation with them. Okay? It doesn't necessarily mean you never use it. We're going to talk about how to use it in a little bit. But so the question then is, how do we live wisely with the people who are outside of the church? Okay, that's a big issue. That is a huge, huge topic. And I think it's probably the most important thing that you can answer if you want your conversations with people who are not Christians to improve. Okay? If you struggle at all talking about your faith, then what you need is you need the wisdom of how to live with the non-Christians in your world. Okay? It takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. And and the, the biggest thing that you have to realize Probably the most important thing that, well, it's, important thing I've, it's the most important thing I've said so far. There might be more important things to come here. But the most important thing that, that I can say to you is that the conversation between Christians and non-Christians has changed. Okay? The conversations that take place today between Christians and non-Christians are radically different from the conversations that took place 20 years ago, 40 years ago. 300 years ago okay the conversation is different and the biggest problem that christians have is that non-christians have changed in the way they have the conversation but christians haven't okay this is why there's so much misunderstanding this is why conversations go bad so quickly when you talk about your faith with your friends and so let me state the problem in a nutshell very very simply Christians have problems sharing their faith with non-Christians because they are answering questions that their non-Christian friends are not asking. Let's say it again. Christians have problems sharing their faith with non-Christians because they are answering questions that non-Christians are not asking. That's the most important thing I think I'm going to say for the rest of this sermon. Christians have problems sharing their faith with non-Christians because they are answering questions that non-Christians aren't asking. Now, sometimes 
the non-Christians aren't asking questions at all about your faith. Like they're just not asking at all. So you're telling them they're, they're not asking anything and you're giving them answers. And they're like, I don't know, you know. Um, other times, non-Christians are asking questions, but they're asking different questions. And you're not understanding the questions that they're asking, so you're answering the wrong questions. Okay? If you can grasp this, if, you, if our church can get a hold of this, our relationships with the non-Christians in our lives will radically, radically change. Your faith will be better respected. It'll be appreciated. The non-Christian in your life will actually champion your faith. If you can understand this, and your faith will become a blessing to the people, even if they disagree with you, your faith will be a blessing to them. So how has the conversation changed? Right, let's talk about that. It's one thing to say it. Um, how are the questions different? What are the questions? Why is it different now than it was 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago? I want to actually do a, a very short historical survey of America, okay, from the 1600s to today. Okay, short. Six, a lot of time, short summary. Um, this is really important, okay? I'm, not, I'm doing this because I think that this will put in your mind a way to understand where we are today, okay? My goal in going over the history of our country and how the conversation has changed is designed specifically to help you understand how to relate to the people around you who don't think the way you think, okay? So that's why I'm doing what I'm, that's why I'm going to go through this historical survey. But I don't think it's going to be too hard to understand Just follow with me, though, and see if this doesn't make a lot of sense of a lot of stuff that you've had trouble with, okay? So let's start. There's really three phases, okay? There's three phases to the history of the way that faith conversations have happened in our country's history, okay? From the early colonial days, there were lots and lots of parts of America that were very strongly Christian, Okay, there were towns and villages that were either where everybody was a Christian or everybody was part of the church. Okay, if you do the research, there were actually instances where you weren't allowed to vote in elections if you weren't a member of a church. Okay, that was, you know, sort of the milieu of a lot of parts of America. I say parts, not all. But during that time, the question that was typically asked when there was confusion over matters of faith, right? So here was the question that was asked back then. The question was, what has God said? Okay, that was the question. What has God said? I think you should write that down. If you're taking notes, write that down. That in the early part of our country's history, the question that was asked when matters of faith came up was, what has God said? And that question is telling, right? That question indicates that it was commonly accepted, that there is a God, that God has spoken in the Bible. And he's told us what he thinks. And so the way to solve disagreements or to grow in our understanding of faith is simply to find out what has God said, right? Now, it's tough to put exact dates on these things. This is going to be kind of simplistic, and there's lots of other factors involved, but let me just give you a time frame. Some have said this period lasted in America from the 1600s all the way up to World War I. So about 300 years, that was the pervasive question that was asked. Okay, what has God said? Um, Some people have described this era, this is the era of pre-modernism. Okay, pre-modernism. And during that time, religion ruled the day. 
Okay? Now, moving into the second phase of our country's history. Over the course of those 300 years, lots of things happened that contributed to a shift to what we now call modernism. Okay? Makes sense? Pre-modernism gives into modernism. Um, and so... People who were in the church left the church, right? So she talked about factors that caused the shift. In the church, people left the church um, so that the percentage of people in the church went down. Churches began to change and became more diverse. So not every church agreed about the things that were in the Bible, or some churches didn't even care about what the Bible said anymore. And then you had millions and millions of people come into America who weren't Christian. Right? Lots and lots of folks came to America and did not have the faith that people had in those early days. Okay? And the point of all this is simply to describe why the percentage of people who thought the same way about God and the Bible went radically down. Okay? These are the factors that contributed to people that, that, that made them um, not ask those same questions anymore. This is what's causing the conversation to shift. Okay? And so alongside of this population shift, was the rise of science. Okay, the rise of science. Science. Now, let me just say, I love science. I think that God is for science. We've preached sermons about how science reflects the image of God in such wonderful ways. That's a conversation for another time. The point, though, is that science began to explore and explain the world in ways that challenged the church's and religion's explanation for things. Okay? I mean, we see that. I mean, there's so much more that can be said about this, but so this has been the era of modernism, okay? It's called modernism. And uh, the point is that because of all these factors, population changes, the church changing, science, all these things, that during the time between World War I and I'm going to say the end of the Cold War in the 80s, okay? So that's the time frame from World War I to the end of the Cold War in the 80s, during that time, because of those factors, the conversation has shifted dramatically when it comes to, t- to talking about faith. Okay? Whereas in the pre-modern age, the question was, what has God said? In the modern age, the question that, is be- that gets asked is, has God really said? Has God really said? is the question that gets asked. And so what does that mean? That means, is there really a God who has spoken? You know, is there proof for Christianity? Like, are you sure about this stuff? You know, is there proof for the resurrection? Is there proof for the Bible? Hasn't science explained all that away? Right? The conversation has shifted. That's modernism. Okay, and during the time of modernism, science has ruled the day. Okay, so you go pre-modernism, modernism. Then our third sort of section, this brings us up to the present. There's been another shift over the last 30 years, 30 years um, to what is now called postmodernism. You know, when you see pre-modernism post, or modernism and postmodernism, you know that the modernist was the guy who came up with the titles, right? Because he's put that in the center. Just, just so you know. So, you know, if you're not a modernist, you might not resonate exactly with the way I'm talking about some of this stuff. But, you know, so whoever gets the name, it gets control which is actually part of the problem that postmodernism addresses. Let's talk about that for a second. Lots of things have contributed to the shift from modernism to postmodernism. Okay? The biggest factor, in my opinion, and just let me ask, how many people have heard, of, have heard the word postmodernism before? Okay. 
How many people think they know what it means? Okay, right. I mean, it's, it's challenging. It's tough. You hear things talked about, but what exactly is the definition of that? We're going to talk about that. It's good. We're going to equip you. Okay, so the biggest factor, in my opinion, for modernism and postmodernism has been the recognition and growing appreciation of the diversity of people in our country and in the world. Okay? It's the recognition and growing appreciation for the radical diversity that exists both in our country and in the world. Postmodernism has said, you know what? Not everyone has the same experience. Not everyone has the same history. Not everyone has the same people. Not everyone has the same interpretation of their history or their experience. Um, Another huge factor in this shift from modernism has been that more people are hearing the cry of the oppressed. Okay? There are more people now that are hearing the cry of the oppressed. In every system, in every religious system, in every governmental system, there are people who get the short end of the stick. Okay? And over the last 30 years, more and more people are becoming in tune with the suffering of those who have been marginalized, and they are speaking up for them. Okay, so you think about that, the recognition of the increased diversity and then somebody giving a voice to those who are being left out. Those two things have created this other huge shift. It's a huge shift in the questions that people ask about religion. Okay, what's the question for postmodernists? Well, when religion comes up, the main question that postmodern thinking people ask is, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I mean, you feel the cynicism in that, right? We're talking about faith. You want something. It's either my money or it's my life or it's my commitment to your cause or it's my, I don't know what it is, but you want something and I'm not going to go forward. We're not even going to have this conversation until I know what it is that you want from me. I know that some of this is is detailed, but do you see how this begins to explain conversations that you've had and you leave going, man, why did that happen that way? I don't understand that. Like, this is what's happening. Let me just summarize. Okay, so if you checked out during that whole survey, let me give it back to you. It is that important. Um, Let me just give you the questions, review the questions that people have asked. In pre-modernism, the main question was, has God, or what has God said? What has God said? In modernism, the question was, and still is, has God really said? And then in postmodernism, the question has become, what do you want from me? Okay? Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The, the, what wisdom is doing, wisdom is calling out to every single one of us, calling out to every single one of you, whether you're a Christian or not, wisdom is calling out and saying, if you want to actually be a neighbor to someone else, if you want your life to matter to someone else, if you want to consider yourself a blessing to anybody else, boy, you need to understand who you're talking to. You need to know and understand what are the questions behind the questions. 
to not do that leads us to a place where we end up answering questions that the people around us are not asking. I don't think that there is a bigger issue that plagues us as a church in terms of us learning how to be a blessing to our neighbors and learning how to love our neighbors than this. I think we are answering questions that nobody's asking. And wisdom calls us to live in a way that understands other people because if we don't understand them, there is no way there's no way we're going to have good conversations with them. Okay, so let me talk just a little bit about this chart um, that's in your bulletin on page six. I think we have it as a slide too. Um, let's see if we can get it up there so we can kind of see it on the paper and up there. We'll kind of cycle through. Oh, there it was. Back, back, back back oh go the we gotta go the other way that's all right okay no problem it's right there in the bulletin on page six what this does and so let me stay here um for a second with with modernism most i think you can probably this explains a lot of the dynamics that goes on between generations okay folks who are older um in the second half of life tend to be modern Okay? People in the first half of life in our day and age tend to be postmodern. Okay? It's not always the case. It's not always the case. There are older folks who are postmodern. There's younger folks who are very modern. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of churches that are very, very modern. Okay? And the bummer is that as postmodernism has cropped up, the way that the church has reacted to postmodernism is it said, Ooh, that's evil. That's wrong. Oh, my goodness. Do you see what those postmodern folks are saying? Ah! And they've thrown the walls up, and they've dug their heels into modernism. And they have continued to articulate the answers to the questions in very, very modern ways. And postmodern people, not just non-Christians, postmodern Christians and non are going, gosh, okay, um, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not there. I don't know. You're, You're telling me things that just... Like, this is not my life. You're talking about your life, and your life is different from mine, right? Parents, does this make sense? Have you ever had this conversation? I mean, this is what happens, and this has happened, and it's happened in the church. Um, if you've heard of the emerging church or the emergent church, right? Um, the emergent, that's a, that is a group of Christian people who left the modern church, because they were postmodern people and their experience was different, radically different. And they thought, you know what? We're just not getting anything out of being in this environment. These questions, we're not asking these questions. Our friends aren't asking these questions. But we love Jesus. <laughs> what do we do? How do we deal with this? And, I mean, there's a long history and there's books that have been written on this and, and, and stuff. But what's happened is these folks have ended up leaving the more modern, more traditional churches and started these other churches that, I mean, they have sort of characteristics and qualities that that stereotype, you know, that that, that cover lots of them, but there's lots of diversity there too. Um, And so the, the, the drag is that now you got churches that are sort of fighting with each other instead of, you know, instead of, boy, wouldn't it be amazing if older Christians, and not just genealogically older, but 
if older, more been around the church a lot longer kind of Christians could say, you know what? I recognize that we're not doing a good job reaching younger folks. There's a large swath of people that don't seem to care about the message that we're sharing. Boy, isn't it amazing that Jesus loves these people too? And that there's people that love him. Why don't we work together with them and see two things. One, if they can help us understand how we can maybe answer some of the questions they're asking. Maybe we ought to listen and understand so that we can become maybe less modern and maybe like see if we can pull a foot over and stand it in the postmodern camp so that we can actually be Christian and speak to both sides. Right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing, right? And then wouldn't it be great if the postmodern folks, instead of, because, you know, the easy thing to do if you're postmodern is to go, oh, man, they just don't get it. They just don't understand. We're out of here. And they go off and do their own thing. Right? Wouldn't it be amazing if these postmodern folks could say, you know what? Okay, this is going to be a hard conversation. I don't know where it's going to go, but we love you. We love Jesus enough to try to see if we can keep this thing together. Um, can we talk about the issues that you seem to be most concerned about and then the issues we seem to be most concerned about and see if maybe we can keep going together. I mean, that's the goal. So, you know, there are people who will look at a chart like this and on the left-hand side will write Christian and on the right-hand side will write non-Christian. Man, that's wrong. That's wrong. Um, when we talked about postmodernism, you know, the two biggest factors in postmodernism are a recognition and appreciation of the radical diversity that exists. Boy, last time I read my Bible, that sounds like Revelation chapter 7. The horde of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus together. Right? Recognizing diversity is a God-honoring and God-imaging thing. And then the second thing about postmodernism, that they're hearing the cry of the oppressed. Man, wait a minute. <laughs> That's Jesus. <laughs> That's not non-Christian. So it's possible that, I mean, there are lots of non-Christians who are postmodern, okay? And there are things that non-Christian postmodern folks say that Jesus wouldn't agree with. Granted. It's true. Not every postmodernist is a Christian. But, you know, we got some of the best known and loved atheists on this side with science and modernism. Okay? The point is that both modernism and postmodernism are approaches to life that are very different, that are asking different questions of life. Okay? Now, in my mind, the glorious news of all of this is that Jesus has answers for all the questions. I mean, that's the good news. And so we need to be careful um, about ostracizing one side or the other just because it's on one side or the other. Okay? Um, And so, I mean, we could go through all the details on this chart. I guess maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it next next week because we really want to press in and understand how this stuff fits together. But, um, and, uh, and this chart came from a book. I've mentioned this book before. It's called Going Public with Your Faith um, by Peel and Laramore, P-E-E-L, uh, Walt P- uh, William Peel and Walt Laramore. This is the best book I've ever read, especially for modern Christians to learn how to relate to postmodern people. 
okay? I think these guys were modernists, and they realized, oh, my goodness, we're, we're answering questions nobody is asking. And they actually have effectively put a foot in the postmodern world, and they're now bridging the gap for the rest of us. And so if you're a modern Christian, this is fabulous. The analysis and the explanation of modernism and postmodernism and, and what the solution is, I mean, this book is, is really a great step forward. It's been fabulous for me. Um, I read it a year ago, and the fact that I'm still talking about it means it wasn't just a flash in the pan for me, you know, because sometimes that happens. You get excited about something, and it sort of goes away. Um, and so that's where this chart came from. Um, we'll talk about it some more um, next week. But, like, all of this, all of this is around walking in wisdom toward outsiders. I mean, that's what we're looking to do. And you just you can't walk with someone who's not a Christian. You can't walk with somebody if you don't take the time to understand. To understand. Like, we have to understand um, who we're talking to. And so let me just, let me end uh, our time today um, by just giving you a couple of, of things that, that we can take away. Um, because this can feel overwhelming, like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm really going to quarantine myself until I master all this stuff he's talking about, right? Um, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Um, the good news is that to begin to approach walking in wisdom toward outsiders it starts with relationships, okay? It starts with relationships. That's where it all begins. And so um, that's the first call is that you, you know, the best conversations that you will have, whether you walk wisely or not, is if you do it in the context of a real friendship with someone else, okay? Um, love covers over a multitude of sins, that's what the Bible says. If there's love between you and a friend, that can make up the difference for your inability to understand where they're coming from. Okay? And so it all begins with friendship. That's where the best conversations have because in a friendship, you love and you care about each other. And so you want to take that love and care that you have for your friends and, and express that by understanding who they are understanding where they're coming from, right? We've been praying, you know, for now a month and a half, right, for the folks around us, for our neighbors. We spent all January praying because we want God to prepare our hearts. Well, God has been preparing our hearts, and he's preparing our hearts also to receive his word so that when we get to this place in our journey, in this four-month resolution, that we'll be prepared to say, you know what? I might not be walking with enough wisdom, you know, I really do need to grow. And so, but this month, you, you learn through conversation. If you flip over on page eight, like the steps in our resolution to, our, to, to love our neighbors, man, the action items for your relationship with the world. It says right there, learn through conversation. These are folks you've been praying for. If you haven't been, start, start praying for them. Learn about them through conversation. How are you? Here's the best question that, I mean, this is for everybody. If you actually care about somebody and you want to know more about them, the best question you could possibly ask is, so what's new? What's new? Man, that's a question that's saying, look, because how are you? Sometimes you get a nothing answer, right? Sometimes we give nothing answers. But what's new? I mean, sometimes it's like nothing, but, you know, hey, what's new? What's going on in your life? 
get to know people, find out what's going on inside of them. What, what, what is like, are the relationship issues, work issues? What's going on? Like, are things good? Are things bad? Like what's going on in your life? And listen, try to understand, listen for, um, yeah, like what desires do they have? Like, what are they hoping for? What goals are they trying to see accomplished? What struggles do they have? Just listen, just listen and understand, you know, and in the process, you can be trying to think through like, well, Jesus, like, how do you feel about this? Like, what would you say? Like, you don't have to talk. You just listen, listen, understand, grow in your ability to love. Um, and so the best way to start with this whole process is in relationships because these conversations are best when we're in a friendship. Um, and then the second thing is that when faith comes up in a conversation, make sure that you are trying to answer that overarching question before you deal with the other issue. So if an issue comes up where, I don't know, someone asks you what church you go to, right? You want to get a sense, are they, like, what are they looking for, right? Like, do they have this issue where, like, oh, I don't want you to push this on me, you know, do they have a, do they, are they looking for evidence for why they ought to come to your church? I mean, you want to just get a sense of that as you answer the question. Um, and you want to answer that question first, and then as you, then you want to speak to the issue that gets raised. And so, I mean, what does this look like? Um, so, I mean, here's what I do with the non-Christian friends that I have. And I have found that it's usually easy to just assume people are postmodern um, and then work your way back. Okay, so I just assume that when issues of faith come up that someone thinks, oh, man, what do you want from me? Right. Are you trying to convert me? Are you trying to get me to go to your church? You trying to, you know, I just assume that's where they're coming from. And so here's what I do. I actually will say to people, look, um, I don't say it like that. That's kind of harsh. Um, (laughs) Look, no, no, no. So if an issue of faith comes up and somebody says, oh, like, tell me about your church or or something like that, I will typically say, well, I'm not going to push anything on you, but here is what has really worked for me. Tension resolved, tension diffused, right? Just so you know, I'm not pushing anything on you. If there's something that's going on in my life that could be a blessing to you, I want to tell you about it, but I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to push you because I care about you. I care about you. I want to understand. I don't want to answer questions you're not, you're, you're not asking, right? And so, I mean, I did this. I did a wedding for a um, huge number of non-Christian folks. And during the message of, in, in the ceremony, at the very end, I was making analogies with sports. And um, at the very end, I said, now, look, let me just say one more thing. I might have said, look. Huh. Um, I said at the very end, I said, I gave them really the the wisest counsel that I could give them that would apply to both Christians and non-Christians in terms of how to have a a healthy marriage. Um, And then I said, let me just say one last thing. In my experience, Jesus has made a huge difference in the health of my marriage. He has taught me to love. He has taught me to be quick to forgive. He has taught me to be understanding. And he's filled me with grace. And the miracle is that when Jesus... That when you press into the love of Jesus, I said he becomes both your coach and your MVP. I was in this uh, sports, sports thing. Uh, he will coach you how to do it, 
but then he has actually come to do it for you. He has loved you in such amazing ways. I said, John 3.16 isn't just the sign in between the goalposts. You know, it's just, it's, it's the wonder that God has loved us so much that he gave his own son. And that's the love that we then can share with each other. And that's it. That's it. So, I mean, take that. I'm not trying to press this on you, but let me tell you what has worked for me. If you preface what you said, that's, that, I mean, that'll put you, that, that's wise walking. That's walking wise. And we'll talk more about this next week. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for uh, just the ability to, to try to understand what wisdom is. And I know as I've tried to pour through and understand how to be wise in our day and age and how to lead our church into wisdom, um, I thank you for the chance that we have to look at the bigger picture here. Um, Father, we confess that so often we have not answered questions that people are actually asking. We've gotten frustrated. We've gotten bitter. We've gotten defensive. And Lord, we just ask that you would this week and next and even ongoing, that you would make us the kind of people that are willing to understand before we share and that do a good job of just relieving the tension by not pushing things on people, by living in a way by living in a way that would have people say to us, wow, you're different. Wow, you're different. Lord, make us a people known for the way that we understand others. Help us to do this, Lord, for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom, so that people would see your kindness. They would see your grace and your love most clearly coming from our lives. Help us, Lord, to grow in wisdom so that your kingdom would come, so that we would be a blessing to our friends and family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, and our colleagues. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.